All right. I think that's enough business. All right. So our second reading this morning uh, is from 1 John chapter 2. Um, I, I think I'm, I don't know what version I'm reading from. I'm reading you, little children. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm reading from the ESV version. Uh, it's in your, it's in your pew Bibles. It's also uh, in your bulletin if you want to follow along. So hear the word of God. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you overcame the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. Anyone, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Brother John's uh, proclamation of this word to uh, the ancient church. We pray that your voice would speak through the scriptures as clearly today as the day that it was first written. Lord Jesus, you have the words of life, and we ask that you would speak to us this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you were looking at the the printed text of uh, uh, of the second reading this morning, but the the first part of it is uh, in, in your in your translation is laid out as lines of poetry, all right, and um, that kind of layout, of course, is um, is is a decision that the translator makes. Uh, the, they would not have had a way of doing that uh, in the ancient Greek. They just wrote continuously. Uh, but there's a rhythm uh, in the line. There's a there's a rhythmic structure uh, in that section that suggests that it was to be read uh, as a piece of poetry, or or maybe it was even a song that they might have sang in the uh, in the early church. There are a number of places uh, in the New Testament where the the writer of of the letter or of a or of a gospel quotes a little hymn, okay, and they just kind of plug it in there, uh, because everybody in the church would have known it. It's possible that, that this uh, little passage is something, is something like that. But whenever we encounter something that's poetical, we need to be aware that it's poetical and put on our poetry uh, uh, ears as we're listening to it. Uh, in this little section of poetry, John talks about children, fathers, and young men. And I want you to not be overly um, literal in interpreting that. Um, or to look for some kind of 
uh, fundamental divisions there. When he's talking about, um, I'm writing to you little children, he, he is writing to the whole church. I mean, he is he's the granddaddy of this church. He's actually an old man when he's writing this. And so he's writing in an affectionate way to all of the Christians. Remember, this is a letter to the church. It's not a letter to unbelievers. And so he addresses them affectionately as little children. He then also talks about uh, fathers and young men, or old men and young men. As it turns out, when you read the passage, what's true of the old men is also true of the young men. So maybe this is a way of him reiterating, well, I'm talking to all of you, I'm talking to those of you who've been around in the faith for a long time, and I'm talking to those of you who've been in the faith for just a short time. It turns out what he says of us is true of all of us. So I don't want you to get too too hung up in it. But let's take a look at what John uh, says here in this passage, and then I want to talk about uh, not loving the world. In verse 12, John says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. The number one need that we have as humans is to have our sins forgiven. Because human sin is the source of every problem that we have in the world. Because human sin is the barrier between us and God. Okay, those of us who are alienated from God, it's because of because of the sin in our lives. And so if God can solve the sin problem, he can restore the relationship with us. And if we have a restored relationship with God, well, life becomes sweeter. We start living the way that that it was supposed to be in the beginning. So John is writing to the church because the sins of the church are forgiven. All right, we we declare that each week. Uh, Jordan declared it for us this week. Hear and believe the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. Okay, so the sins in your life are gone if you are in. Christ. They've been dealt with. The problem has been solved. Our relationship with God has fundamentally changed. We're not enemies of God. God doesn't hate us. He's not out to get us. We're his children now because the sins have been forgiven. The penalty has been paid. All right. So that's, that's a declaration about our fundamental status as Christians. And it's, you know, it's the good news of the good news. It's wonderful to believe in Jesus. Uh, it's wonderful to have your sins forgiven. But it's good to wake up to the reality that, you know what, I'm in Christ. Uh, and so I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the Most High God. Okay, that's, that's where we are because our sins are forgiven. That's the first reason why he's writing them. The sins, the forgiveness of sins restores us to fellowship. The forgiveness of sins puts us in a state of grace. Now, let me point out the last part of that sentence. Your sins are forgiven. Why? What does it say? What's the text say there? Your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. This is the why. 
Our sins were forgiven not so that Dan Morrison could go to heaven. I mean, that's one of the consequences. But the real purpose, the ultimate purpose, the grand plan here is that God's name would be exalted, that He would be glorified for His name's sake. If God redeems sinners, it brings glory to God. If God redeems sinners, it makes Him look good and generous and wonderful. Okay, So while it's true that the forgiveness of our sins is a blessing to us, it's also a glory to Christ. The church exists, all human life exists, all of creation exists to bring glory to Christ. Our salvation brings glory to Christ. doesn't mean that you don't want to thank Him because of what He did for you, but I also want us to be humble and recognize He didn't do it just for us. He also did it for Himself and for His own glory. Hey, we love God, but you know who else loves God? God loves God. Okay? Rightly. God loves God. And so God brings glory to himself. And one of the ways he does it is by forgiving our sins. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for God's name's sake. I'm writing to you, old men, because you know him who is from the beginning. Because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, we've talked about what it means to know Christ uh, Up in chapter 2, verse 2, John says, you know, you know him if you actually obey him. You want to find out someone who knows Christ? Find out someone who's obeying Christ. And we've been, we've been going back and forth uh, with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love chapter where we talk about what love is. If you want to see someone who's in Christ, you're going to look for someone who has patience and kindness and forbearance. These are, these are the characteristics of Christian love and they're evidence that we're, we're in Christ. And that's how it is that we know Him. Now, one of the things that we've talked about in the Christian Ed program here at this church is, is that we want to be educating ourselves for transformation, not information. Now, we're an educated congregation. One of the problems with being a bunch of eggheads is we fall in love with knowledge for the sake of knowledge. And you got all these things that you know about Scripture, and you know you can read it in the Greek and the Hebrew. And But if it hasn't changed your life, it doesn't matter. Okay? To know Christ is to be transformed by Christ. It doesn't mean that you've accumulated an encyclopedia of information about Christ. Do you understand this difference? This is a very important difference. The devil knows Christ. Lots of information about him. He's met him. Seen what his power can do. Okay, But the devil has not been transformed by Christ. Why? Because his heart is of stone. All right. So to know Christ is to be transformed by Christ, not just to have information about Christ. Hey, we stand up here and we teach, which is giving information, because you can't be transformed by Christ if you don't have enough information about Christ. But getting the information alone is not going to save you. We're going to give the information, 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 and then the Holy Spirit has to use that information to set fire to your heart and to change you from the inside out. And when that happens, 
you're converted, you're born again, and you become a new creature. There's seeds that are planted, all right? The, seed, the, the seeds are information, but the Holy Spirit has to uh, uh, change that information into something that's going to convert you and make you a different place, a different person. Fathers, because you know Him in a transformative way, as your personal Savior... Because you know him, this is why I'm writing to you. You're my friends, you're, you're the people, you're the, my flock. John is writing to people that he loves. He's not writing to people he's got a beef with. He's writing to the ones he loves. I'm writing to you old Christians because you know Christ. Because you've been transformed by him. Now notice the end part of that thing. Who is him? It's the person who was from the beginning. One of the strange things that happened in Western Christianity in the late 19th century and the early 20th century was a fascination with the historical Jesus. Albert Schweitzer writing about the life of Christ. A lot of interest in reconstructing the historical life of Jesus and discovering the humanity of Jesus. Going along with this movement, this pursuit of the historical Jesus, there was simultaneously a lowering, maybe not explicitly, but implicitly, of the status of Jesus. Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He was there at the beginning. He made the world. He is the mouthpiece of God who spoke the law of God at Mount Sinai. He is eternal. All right? Yes, he was born in Bethlehem. What we need to be careful of and what I want to warn you against because there's a temptation and the world is comfortable with this thing is that we don't worship Guru Jesus. We don't worship moral example Jesus. We're not interested in best of all humanity Jesus. We don't follow Jesus because he was a good man and a philosopher. We follow Jesus because he was God. All right? Because he was from the beginning. Jesus was there at the creation of the world. Now he came in flesh as Jesus of Nazareth, that is also simultaneously true. But if we lose his divinity, we've lost the game. All right? So I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him in a transformative way. Who do you know? Not the guru, not the moral example. You knew him who was from the beginning. When you meet Jesus... When that transformative encounter happens, you will meet him as eternal God. You can be raised in the church, uh, grow up on Sunday school stories. You know all of the Old Testament stories and the New Testament stories. But there will come a moment in your life when it will come together for you in a blazing crystal light. And you realize, oh. This is the creator of heaven and earth who died on a cross for me. 
I'm writing to you, beloved fathers, because you knew Him who was from the beginning. Number three, I'm writing to you, young Christians, young men, because you have, you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the evil one. So, one of the wonderful things about coming into Christ is that we are victors over Satan and his schemes. Look, Satan, Satan is an, is an old enemy. Satan was before we were. Satan existed before humanity existed. And he hates God. And he hates everything that God made, which was so beautiful and so good. And from the beginning, he's been looking to destroy it as best he can. Well, he's not a God. Satan is not a God. He's just an angel. He's localized. But he tries to cause trouble wherever he goes. And mostly Satan accomplishes what he, what he does through lying. He's a liar. He always was a liar, Jesus says. Alright? That, that's his native language. What language does Satan speak? He speaks lying. Alright? And the curious thing about Satan's lying is, well this is the kind of the, the dangerous thing about Satan's lying is that Satan's lying isn't all false. It's only half false. It's half true and half false. Okay? It's, it's like the worm, it's like the worm on the hook. The worm is good, the half-truth is good, but there's a hook in it. Alright? Part true, part false. This is how Satan attracts people. This this sounds good. That's one side of it. The other side of it is, is that Satan's lies are always flattering to us. Oh, they make us feel good. Remember the first lie is that, you know what, if you if you defy God by eating the forbidden fruit, you'll become like God yourself. It's half true, actually. We sort of did become more like God in doing that by knowing good and evil. But we died as a result of it. The hook the hook was stuck in us and we can't get it out. It has to be pulled out by Christ himself. All right? So there's a lie, there's a half lie that's given to us. And the lie is always flattering to us. The fundamental lie of Satan is the lie that Satan tells to himself. What is the lie that Satan tells to himself? I'm, I, I'm God. I'm as good as God. God thinks he's so great. I can be as good as God. And you know what? That's the lie he tells to people. You can put yourself in God's place. You can be the one who makes the rules. You can say what is right and wrong. You are the determiner of values. That's to put yourself in God's place. It's a very dangerous lie. And the wonderful thing is, those of us who are in Christ have been, have overcome, uh, have overcome the evil one. Now let me jump down to the end of the little poem. This is in verse 14. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Those things are actually a sandwich. You're strong, you've overcome the evil one. That's the bread of the sandwich. What's in the middle of that sandwich? The Word of God. You want to be strong? You need the Word of God in the middle of you. You want to overcome the evil one? You need to have the Word of God in the middle of you. Well, where do you find the Word of God? Well, it's in that, it's in that Bible. 
Jesus is the living Word of God. The written Word of God is Scriptures for us. If we don't have that in our core, we will not be strong and we will not overcome the evil one. But here's the great news. If you have Scripture in your core, you will be strong. There's no way around it. If you have the Word of God in you, you will be strong and the evil one will always be pushed off. You will always overcome the evil one. We are strong because of the Word of God abiding in us. All right. Now, John shifts gears here, maybe about a half a gear, and he talks about do not love the world. I want to just touch on this briefly. We're going to come back to it more fully on another Sunday. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We have three problems And I'm afraid that we worry about them in reverse order, but let me give you the three problems. Problem number one is the devil. He's the ancient enemy. He's always hated God, and so he hates us because we're made in God's image. Okay, The devil's always there. The, the second problem is the world. Okay, And by the world, when, this, when Scripture here talks about the world, it's not talking about the physical universe. It's talking about systems of value or ideologies, power structures, and then flesh. Flesh is our own desires. We have three enemies, the devil, the world, and the flesh. But the one that we have in our control is the flesh. The only one, like we don't control the devil. And we don't really control the world. We don't, we can't tell, we, the world's going to do what the world does. But we do have control over us. The devil appeals to our flesh. The devil tempts us to sin by uh, by appealing to our desires. The world, the systems of the world, which could be ideologies or politics, also tempt us by the flesh, by saying, you know, here's what you want. You do do this and you're going to get what you want. Our concern is to control our flesh, and if we control our flesh, then the world and the devil will not be a problem for us. The world is passing away. One of the things that Christians need to be careful about is that we live in the world, but we're not of the world. This world is not our home. People who are atheists, for them, politics is their religion. Okay, so, I mean, politics is that art or that science of uh, ordering human society in the best way possible. Okay, so it's a very high art of a high science. If there is no God, if there is no eternity, then politics is, is gotta be at the top of, of the, va- of the stack of human values. Godless people worship at a political altar. We need, as Christians, to be very careful that we do not worship at a political altar. Okay? I want to say this. I mean, I've said it before from the pulpit because I was surprised when I first learned it. But many people's politics are more deeply and firmly held than their theology. And there's something wrong with that. 
Now, I believe that Christians should be involved in in political life. We need to vote. We need to run for office if we're called to that. We should vote for Christians when we have the opportunity to vote for Christians. We need to be part part of the world and be a blessing in the world. But we need to keep it in the right order. Okay, our faith is at the top and then the politics is below that. I see this get inverted. Where my politics are at the top, there is no man running for office who is your savior. Or woman. Okay. A political party is not your church. And the platform of any political party is not Holy Scripture. We need to be very careful. And I've seen this sin on both the left and the right in recent years. Okay? We need to be very, very careful about this. That, that's a system of the world. Okay? The, that political system. It could also be what, what Madison Avenue is telling you in terms of advertising and what products you need to buy. It could be, uh, there are other kinds of ideologies that we worship at. So the devil, the world, and the flesh. But if we control our flesh, if we control our desires because we have the word of God in us, then we're not, we're not going to be overcome by, by these things that are outside of us. I'm writing you because your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name or for Jesus' name. I'm writing you because you knew him who was from the beginning. I'm writing you because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing you because you're strong, because the word of God abides in you, and because you've overcome the evil one. This is the encouragement of our bishop to us, the church. This is the encouragement of this old saint, John, who must have been in his 90s when he wrote this, to the church that he loved. I pray that it would be a word for us today. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. And we thank you for Brother John. And we thank you for his love of the church. And we thank you that his words come down to us this day. I pray that... Oh Lord, I just pray that uh, we would uh, have your word deep in our hearts. I pray that uh, we would know that our sins are forgiven in Christ. I pray that we would be transformed by knowing Jesus personally. And I pray that we would bring you honor and glory with our lives and our speech and our